Welcome, everyone, to BAMS Radio on this eve before the Iron Bowl. Uh, it's going to be uh, an unreal atmosphere at Jordan-Hare Stadium as the number six Auburn Tigers are going to host the number one-ranked Crimson Tide. There's been a lot of intrigue leading up to this game due to some developments that uh, my compatriot, who's uh, now on with us, William Barger, is going to talk about. Uh, he has had some uh, outstanding info in regards to this really for the past uh, week and uh, re- really two weeks uh, as Alabama, it looks like, is going to have three more bullets in the gun defensively uh, as returning to the practice field officially, though, I think they've been working toward uh, getting back uh, for this game for a couple of weeks now. Or, uh, of course, uh, the junior outside linebacker Christian Miller, the sophomore outside linebacker Terrell Lewis, and sophomore inside linebacker Mac Wilson. I'm going to welcome William Barger into the conversation and also say a happy Thanksgiving to the listeners and Thomas Watts, the wizard behind the curtain, and my co-host, who will also give some thoughts on this Iron Bowl coming up this week. He does an outstanding job producing our program. But, William, I hope you had a, a, a happy Thanksgiving. Welcome back to BAMS Radio, my friend. Hey, same to you, Drew, and I hope everybody out there that's listening did as well. It's a, you know, always a great time of the year to you know get back together with your family. And you know what, what really is important, um, you know, and I know the Iron Bowl is, you know, the focus of, of this show and going forward tomorrow. But, man, it's, you know, especially the older that you get, I think it starts meaning more and more to you um, to, to, you know, get with your family. Um, you know, especially in my case, you know, I live in Birmingham. My family lives outside of Nashville. So getting to come up here and spend five days with, you know, my, my father and my stepmother and my sisters is uh, something that I need to start making more of a priority and more time for. But I mean, we've had a great time. Um, you know, got after the uh, the beef tenderloin and the twice baked potatoes yesterday. And my dad uh, went into Nashville and got us a bunch of Oster Pool, pool Boys and Crawfish Etouffee today. So um, I feel like it should be the LSU game tomorrow instead of the Iron Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> Sound like you've definitely eaten well, man. And uh, we yeah. had a we had a nice Thanksgiving in Gunnersville with my family. I enjoyed that. I spent the night there. And yeah, what a I, great setting for Thanksgiving on the lake. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a lot of a beautiful time of year, and, uh, and and of course everyone's getting geared up for the Iron Bowl tomorrow at 2:30 uh, p.m. And William, uh, we 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 uh, saw Alabama uh, handle Mercer. You know, since we last talked to our listeners, they were uh, coming off of the comeback against Mississippi State, which to me, I know you you uh, know uh, knew Jack Rutledge well. He always called talked about gut checks, and that was a gut check for this Alabama team. They didn't play to the, up to their capabilities defensively, but they found a way to win that game, and it was a really a defining moment, I thought, for Jalen Hurts, first of all, uh, to bring the team back the way he did. Calvin Ridley with his finest game of the season, uh, and then Devonta Smith, we know he'd had some drops against LSU, but to come back and to make the play that he did, I think had to give him a lot of confidence, and then uh, to, to handle Mercer the way they did. We know that the Mercer's an overmatched opponent, but I thought winning 56 to nothing, getting to play a lot of guys, and then getting Dylan Moses some much-needed confidence heading into this contest in Auburn was a, a key. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know what was, was more impressive to me about the Mercer game. And, you know, you've already qualified it about the level of competition. We, we all understand that. Uh, but, you know, he, he totally was dominant in that game. Um, you know, I, I love the uh, – you know, the, the first, you know, quarter and a half of play calling with, you know, the true first team offense. Um, you know, I thought Brian Dayball, 
uh, did a great job of you know, incorporating Josh Jacobs into the passing game. You know, that, that play, um, you know, down there on the goal line where, you know, Jalen did the play action fake to the left, rolled out, had both tight ends, um, you know, kind of flooding the right, right part of the red zone. You know, Drew, I, I played tight end in high school and linebacker on defense. And so, I, you know, I ran that route and also had to try and defend it. And it's, you know, if I was Brian Dayball, especially with what they have to face from a crowd noise standpoint and a, you know, a top, top 15 defense tomorrow at Auburn, man, I'd dial that thing up seven or eight times until they made me do something else. It's one of the tough – that and the tight end steam pass is one of the toughest things to defend um, if you're a, a linebacker or a safety. You know, you take one false step and, you know, it's over with. And yeah, you know, I just love the play calling. Love getting a dynamic playmaker like Josh Jacobs involved in that Mercer game. Um, and like you said, you know, once the um, you know the starters kind of filtered in and out, and you know Najee Harris and Tua came in, um, you know they they continued with the with the offensive fireworks. But um, you know, I thought that you know Jalen Hurts' performance in the first you know quarter and Dylan Moses' performance. Uh, was probably the two highlights of the game. I, I agree. I think they really were. And it's interesting because you always get into these Twitter arguments. And, and uh, you know, uh, I there, there's already people trying to uh, – because just to let our listeners know, earlier today the Miami Hurricanes were exposed uh, by the Pitt Panthers, Pitt beating them 24-14 uh, to 14 with, a, with a true freshman quarterback making his first start. The Hurricanes under Mark Rick have had a very good second season. Uh, they, they, they did everyone a favor by beating the most overrated team in America year in and year out, Notre Dame, and kind of and, and ended their, and ended their uh, college football playoff uh, hopes. But, uh, you know, you're already having people saying that a one-loss Miami team should go in over a one-loss Alabama team if they lose the Iron Bowl, which is a joke because if you look at who Miami beat, they, 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 their margin of victory is, is just they, – they, they barely scrape by a lot of teams, I think, that are average in the ACC. I don't think the SEC is particularly strong this year. But when you look at Alabama's body of work, they eviscerated most of the teams they played. And now I have a, uh, a perspective, uh, you know, uh, voice on Twitter trying to tell me that, well, that Mississippi State lost to, to, to a terrible Ole Miss team at home. Well, first of all, Ole Miss finished 6-6. Six and six. And second of all, if Nick Fitzgerald doesn't go down with an ankle injury, I think we all know the uh, Mississippi State Bulldogs win that game. So you have to take into account injuries sometimes. And I do think the fans overreact to some of these uh, wins and losses. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I watched. I, I guess I got to see the, the fourth quarter of the Miami loss today. And, uh, you know, I thought that was a, a bad loss for them. Um, you know, based on the, the, the level of competition they were playing. I mean, you know, Pittsburgh had a losing record going into the game today. Um, and, and, you know, certainly, um, you know, my, my thoughts and prayers go out to Nick, Fitz, you know, Nick Fitzgerald and his family. That was a, you know, a Joe Theismann level type of an injury. Um, you know, that young man was having a, a unbelievable season. And, and you know, He's kind of a one-trick pony for Mississippi State on the offensive side of the football. I think they've got some uh, – in fact, Drew, a guy that you and I used to talk about uh, as far as, you know, wishing Alabama's coaching staff had, uh, 
uh, you know, made him a part of the recruiting class two years ago. I saw our old, our old buddy from Florence, Alabama, in there uh, messing things up for Ole Miss. And Enroll Thompson. Enroll, uh, yeah, he's a good player. Yeah, he, he thought he was coming out of high school. But, uh, you know, that, that game to me, I think, you know, kind of encapsulated all the things that, you know, are wrong with college football, um, you, you know, and maybe it's a byproduct of Matt Luke knowing that he's not going to be the permanent head coach at Old Miss, but the way he allowed those players to act, um, showboat, uh, I just it just left a bad taste in my mouth. Um, the way that they conducted themselves, you know, you heard, uh, you know, what the broadcaster said last night that uh, the AD at Old Miss uh, Bjork said that they expect the, uh, you know, the final letter to come down. Uh, in the next two weeks from the NCAA, you know, we'll see what happens there. I think you could see, um, you know, some good quality football players that need uh, to find a home where they're going to be provided with some quality discipline and, uh, you know, a standard to live up to as far as how college athletes are expected to perform on and off the field. But I just, you know, after the the Fitzgerald injury, you know, I, I just was sitting there watching that thing unfold. And uh, I, I just didn't really like it at all. Um, you know, you saw what Breland Speaks did. Um, and, again, um, you, you all, I always hate to see a game that gets decided by an injury like that. It's, you know, it's part of the game. Um, you know, you, you kind of saw, you know, Florida State season, you know, go off the rails after DeAndre Francois was hurt versus Alabama in the first game of the season. But, you know, I think that's – you know, since we're here to talk about Alabama football, um, you know, I think that's kind of what separates Nick Saban and Alabama, you know, f- from a lot of other programs is they do have the depth um, to survive catastrophic injuries like that. You know, if something were to happen tomorrow to Jalen Hurts, I, I feel very good uh, that Tua Tungavaloa could come in and, um, you know, that offense wouldn't miss a beat, um, you know, something were to happen to Damian Harris. There's plenty of other running backs. And, you know, once we get into talking about Auburn, Drew, um, that's kind of the segue that I'm leading up to um, with what I think is the difference in the game tomorrow uh, between Alabama and Auburn and its quality depth. Uh, that Al- You know, if something happens to either Jarrett Stidham or on Johnson tomorrow, I, I don't think it's going to be a happy ending for Auburn. Oh, not at all. Uh, completely agree. Um, and we saw the same thing happen to Mississippi State uh, when they lost their quarterback and Nick Fitzgerald, their offense. They did outgain Ole Miss, uh, but still, they turned the ball over five times, and his leadership and ability as a runner and passer was uh, sorely missed uh, by uh, the uh, Mississippi State uh, you know, football You just team. totally took, took, you know, did a better job of articulating what I wanted to say. You know, you saw him you know, come back out and spend, you know, the the rest of the first half there in the um, the tunnel watching his team play. And, you know, that that's the, the mark of a leader and a champion. And that guy wanted to be out there, even though he knew he couldn't be out there on the field with his teammates. He wanted to be out there on the sideline and amongst the, his teammates so bad. Um, you know, and when you look at that, you know, horrific injury that he had suffered, um, you, you got to tip the cap to that young man, you know, to know how much pain he was in, you know, knowing that his, his career was, you know, kind of uncertain to a certain extent. And he wasn't worried about himself. He was totally unselfish and wanted to get out there and try and have what 
any kind of impact he could have on his teammates for the second half. Yes, he did. And, uh, and now Alabama, as we look toward them, uh, we've, uh, we talked about the gut check they had in beating Mississippi State. And Mississippi State had a different game plan against Alabama. They went slow. They, they decided to huddle. They wanted to slow the game down and shrink the game. It almost worked, but Jalen Hurts made enough explosive plays on third down. Calvin Ridley had such a spectacular game. And then Alabama got the entire offense, especially the ground game, going in the second half and into the fourth quarter. But now – uh, they get through Mercer. It doesn't look like they suffered any injuries, which they couldn't afford anymore. But, uh, William, I guess just to start off uh, on the info you've had for, uh, you know, a week uh, to two weeks with these linebackers returning, uh, these guys have – Mac Wilson we haven't seen since LSU, uh, but the other two we haven't seen since Florida State. How effective and how much do you think these three guys will play on Saturday? You know, Drew, it's funny that you brought that up because I had totally forgotten about it. You know, my, my parents were, you know, bugging me yesterday, um, more so about Mac Wilson than anything. And they reminded me when I was up here a year ago that I was chopping up some celery and onions and uh, sliced my hand open and had to run over to the uh, American Family Care place and get two stitches put in my hand. And it, it, it took my hand, if, if we've been, you know, the information that we've been given is, is forthright and honest and, and, you know, that Mac Wilson actually had a, some sort of broken bone in some part of his foot. That's what the surgery was. Dude, it, it, it took my hand longer to heal from a, a simple, you know, vegetable knife cut than it has his foot. And, you know, the information that I've been, you know, been told, uh, you know, going all the way back to the, the Florida state game about Miller and Lewis, um, you know, I was very conservative, and I actually bumped the timelines back. I always felt like Christian Miller had a chance to come back for Auburn. I thought Lewis would be an SEC championship game or a first college football game type of a deal. But, I, you know, you know, Wilson was, you know, when was the, the LSU game? Like November 3rd or 4th, something like that? Yes, yeah, I mean, that's, <laughs> you know, I have no idea how they pulled that off. But, um, it, you know, from what I've been told uh, going back to Monday was that all three are going to play tomorrow. Um, you don't know. I mean, you know, I'm not a, a coach or, or, you know, a member of the medical staff down there. So, you know, I'm, I'm trying to filter through what I'm being told. I, you know, this is, what, you know, me kind of trying to filter through it all. I think Christian Miller – is probably the guy that's, you know, the closest to being 100%. Um, I think you'll probably see him uh, in some first and 10 situations, you know, playing outside linebacker, uh, certainly in some, some pa- obvious passing situations. I think you'll see um, Terrell Lewis um, in some obvious third, you know, third down passing situations, maybe Mac Wilson. Um you know, how many plays can you get out of those guys? I mean, how effective are they going to be? I don't know. But, you know, I think the closer that they can get to, um, you know, what you saw out of that Alabama defense versus Florida State with an effective Christian Miller and a Terrell Lewis, um, you know, in the rabbit package on obvious passing downs, you know, will certainly help Alabama's, uh, you know, defensive efforts versus Auburn. Um so, you know, you got to kind of have to, you know, weigh that as, you know, how you feel about this game. 
um, you know, I, you know, Drew, I've I've dialed this thing up. I've looked at it. Uh, you know, the stats tell me one thing. Um, you know, if I go position by position, um, you know, this game is, is weighted heavily towards Alabama, in my opinion. Um, but because of depth, um, you know, you could say that, you know, maybe Jalen Hurts and, and Jarrett Stidham are a wash at quarterback, but if something were to happen to Jalen Hurts, um, I think you could bring to a tongue of all in there, but something were to happen to Jarrett Stidham, you know, I don't even know who their backup is. Um, uh, it's so, Malik Willis. He, he's a good athlete, but he hasn't played as much as Tua and, and is not the passer Tua is. And, you know, with, with Cameron Petway not being available, uh, you know, certainly uh, on Johnson's had an outstanding season. He's a quality running back. Um, you know, if something were to happen to him and, or, or, you know, Damian Harris, you know, look at it on both sides. You know, certainly Alabama's more equipped there. But, you know, I, I think this game boils down to um, what any big football game does to is who wins the line of scrimmage on both sides of the football. Um, and, and that's what I think you're going to see tomorrow. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, uh, Brian Dayball probably has a, an easier job of trying to diagnose ways to uh, extend plays, um, you know, pick up first downs and, and, you know, have explosive scoring plays versus, you know, how does Kevin Steele try and defend that? Um, you know, they're going to have to, um, you know, look in the back at their schedule and who they've played. You know, I think, you know, you have to go all the way back to the first game of the – excuse me, their second game of the year um, at Clemson when they played Kelly Bryant to find a, you know, a dynamic athlete at quarterback that they faced, you know, like a guy, you know, Jalen Hurts. That is true. Uh, that is really the only other dual threat QB that they've uh, faced. And I think what Alabama has to do offensively, William, I've said this all week, I think they have to be very aggressive, come out, mix it up on first down, get Jalen Hurts going with his legs and arm, uh, you know, get some quick throws, uh, you know, uh, you know, completed and get him some confidence. And I think, uh, you know, I, I've heard it, uh, you know, reiterated by a lot of people, don't come out tight. I think in this game, Alabama needs to come out and be the aggressor uh, from the opening snap. I agree. And, uh, you know, I think Alabama probably has, you know, Auburn probably has the, uh, you know, the, the obvious intangibles in their pocket. Um, you know, it's a home game. Um, it's, it's a very difficult place to play. Um, you know, when I get down into the intangibles, you know, I, I look at it as, you know, special teams and coaching. Um, you know, Auburn has the better place kicker. Alabama has the better punter. Um, you know, obviously Alabama has the better coach and Nick Saban versus Gus Malzahn. But, you know, Drew, I, I just – I have a different feel about this game than, than I guess a lot of other people do. And I could be, you know, looking like the biggest idiot in the country, uh, you know, come – uh, six o'clock tomorrow night. I, I just, you know, maybe it will be a, you know, a close game, you know, a knuckle cracker. Um, it could be, I guess, but I just think that Alabama, um, you know, going back to, um, you know, 2014, you know, it's been a double digit win, um, wherever they've played. And, and I think that they've got the equipment, um, to, to make that happen again tomorrow. 
And has it not been played up enough? I know the big narrative coming out of the Auburn side is Nick Saban's never beat a nine-win Auburn team. He's 0-6, 0-3 at Alabama, 0-3 at LSU. But the one thing they're not playing up is basically Jeremy Pruitt owns Gus Malzahn. Well, uh, AL.com wrote a pretty good article about that. And uh, I think that's probably the the feather in the cap for Alabama's side, you know, just another advantage that they have, um, you know, is what Jeremy Pruitt's been able to do against Gus Malzahn going back to, you know, the halftime of the 2013 National Championship game. You know, since that time, I think, you know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's been in the second half of that National Championship game, 10 points. Uh, the next year, with Nick Marshall at quarterback, seven points. Uh, the next year, I think it was maybe 10 or 13. Uh, last year, it was, you know, just a bunch of field goals. Um, mm-hmm. Yep. You know, it, it's, it's you know, that's that's something that, you know, I think that there's a lot more pressure on Gus Malzahn uh, to make a statement tomorrow than there is Jeremy Pruitt. He's already kind of proven that he can slow Gus Malzahn's offense down. He has, and I think that could play a big part in this game. And offensively for Alabama, you already mentioned Jalen Hurts. Uh, as far as I, I expect them to probably have a tight end on the right side to help Womack with Jeff Holland, who I'll give Holland a lot of credit, maybe the best pass rusher in the SEC, plays very hard. Uh, he's a guy that Alabama is going to have to account for. But I think also I wouldn't be surprised if Alabama moved the pocket, got Jalen Hurts on the edge because I think Jalen's mobility can play a big part in this game. But I just think also the big X factor as a runner and receiver and some of the things they may do from a speed sweep standpoint and isolating him on linebackers, I think Josh Jacobs could play a big role in this game, along with Damian Harris. I, I think we're going to see a lot of that two-back set, William. Well, and, you know, I think that's that's the smart move. Um, you, you've got, you know, two playmakers, you know, combined with a, with a dual-threat quarterback back there. Um, and again, I think when you look at pressure points in this game, um, you know, I think Kevin Steele's got a lot more pressure on him to try and figure out a way to slow this Alabama offense down than, than Brian Dayball does um, to, to try and figure out a way to produce, you know, extending drives, you know, picking up third downs, you know, scoring points. And then when you, like you've already talked about uh, with the Jeremy Pruitt, um, Gus Malzahn factor, um, you know, all the pressure is on Auburn on the offensive side of the football, um, especially if, you know, some of these linebackers can come in and, you know, contribute 10 plays per person over there. Um, you know, it, you know, it is a home game for Auburn. You know, they've played really well, but, you know, for people that think they can look at that, that Auburn versus Georgia game, and think that this is a replication of Georgia that's coming to town this weekend, they're making a big mistake. There's a big difference between Alabama and Georgia. I agree. I think there's a big difference in the quarterbacks. I think Alabama's, uh, you know, I, I think Georgia, They people have bragged about their offensive line, but I honestly think if, if with J.C. Hassenauer and the way he's played, I think Alabama's offensive line is superior. I think Alabama has the superior defense. Uh, the only thing that worries me in the game, William, uh, to be honest with you, uh, is still some aspects of the special teams, and that's, of course, uh, the kick, the punt return. With To me, Xavier Marks made some plays against Mercer, but he's got to catch the football first 
And then the biggest thing, not misjudge punts, because you know yourself in games like this, you can't give up the hidden yardage and give up maybe a 15 to 20 yard roll when you could feel the punt and, uh, and, 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 and not have your offense backed up with bad field position. No, and I agree, especially when you've got a punter like J.K. Scott that you know is going to flip the field positively for you on the other side of the football. And, uh, you know, I mean, I've looked at this thing, you know, six ways to Sunday. And, you know, I, I just think if you look at it, you know, from a talent standpoint, um, you know, Alabama's got the advantage. I think they've got the advantage from a, a coaching standpoint. Now, I, I do agree with, you know, your comments, you know, when we opened up, um, especially when they go to Jordan Hare, you know, Nick Saban has, um, you know, looked a little bit tight. I think his teams have played that way. Um, but, you know, there's just a, uh, you know, I, I guess, you know, I think, you know, I've always been a guy that believes that, you know, the Jimmys and Joes, you know, kind of have a tendency to overcome the X's and O's. And that's what I expect to see tomorrow. And uh, with Alabama as well, uh, I think the uh, going back to the offensive line, uh, wow, I know Ross Piersbecker returned to practice. Last I heard on Wednesday, he was with the twos. Uh, I think J.C. Hassenauer, with the way he's played, he's the defending SEC Offensive Lineman of the Week, should be in the starting lineup. And I think Alabama, quite frankly, hasn't skipped a beat. Your thoughts on J.C. Hassenauer and this offensive line against this Auburn front? Well, you know, uh, you know, Drew. That's that's another thing that we haven't really talked about. Um, I guess we've been also, uh, you know, engulfed in you know getting these linebackers back and yet to kind of figure out and um, tamper the the expectations about how effective they all can be um, if they play. Uh, but you know, Auburn's got some you know some two starters on defense um, that are you know probably at least going to be limited if they are cleared to play. Um, you know, in, in their best linebacker, Trey, Trey Williams, and probably in their second-best uh, defensive back in Jeremiah Denson. Um, you know, if they are available, just how healthy are they going to be? But, you know, as far as J.C. Hassenauer goes, um, you know, to me it's a no-brainer, Drew. Um, you know, Ross Pierce Baker has started, what, 10 games this year? Um, he's won uh, – uh, SEC Offensive Lineman of the Week, uh, Ross, uh, excuse me, J.C. Hassenauer has started one game this year and, you know, is one SEC Player of the Week. I hope they, um, you know, keep him at left guard. Um, you know, if he can't handle what he's doing, maybe Pierce Baker's healthy enough to come in and, uh, you know, provide a solid effort there. But, um, you know, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Holland's a little bit beat up. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he yep. did not. He did not record a sack versus uh, Louisiana Monroe, um, so that's something else to keep your eye on. Um, so you know, we'll see what happens. I mean, I think it's a uh, you know the, the best rivalry in college football. Um, you know, I think going down there tomorrow, um, you know, the atmosphere is going to be electric. But we'll see what happens. You know, it's going to be the CBS game. Uh, yeah, I can't wait to watch it, but you know. I, I guess I just come from the opposite end of the spectrum. You know, I don't fear anything that Auburn, uh, you know, can, can do to Alabama, um, you know, offensively versus defensively. 
Um, you know, if, if, if what they've got is, you know, Jeffrey Holland screaming off the corner, you already touched on it, you know, maybe you give, you know, certainly if you're Kevin Steele, you're not going to line Jeffrey Holland up on Jonah Williams. That, that's, that would just be a waste. Um, so they're going to line him up on Matt Womack, and, you know, maybe you have to chip him a little bit. Uh, but still, I think even if you do that in a chip standpoint, uh, you know, once the uh, the running back or, or the H-back, whoever it is, you know, gets through chipping, um, you can almost kind of turn it into a, a mini screen drain and, you know, dump the ball over his head to, to the back that was chipping. Yeah, you really could. There's no doubt about that. I, I do think Alabama has more weapons than Auburn does. Uh, I'm still not completely sold on the Auburn receivers. I guess the only matchup defensively that concerns me is uh, we'll see how much Tony Brown plays in the slot, but I do worry about him matching up with Ryan Davis or Will Hastings. But I think with Minka being healthier, I think that's another angle that hasn't been played up. He played against Mississippi State but wasn't himself. I think this two-week rest is going to do him some good. I expect to see the old Minka against Auburn. Yeah, I do too. And I think that's, uh, you know, something that hasn't been talked about a lot. You know, I've seen a lot of these predictions. And, you know, the the, the ones that are favoring Auburn are, you know, 28 to 27, 21 to 17. Um, You know, they're all very close. Um but, but, you know, the ones that favor Alabama, you know, from the so-called experts that have been, you know, targeted for, for their predictions, that uh, they don't necessarily feel it that, that same way. They, they feel like Alabama's going to win this game comfortably. And, you know, that's kind of the way I feel. Um, start looking at the statistics. Um, I, I'll be shocked. And I'll go ahead and say it right now. I'll be shocked. Alabama doesn't win this game by double digits. I'm not saying it's going to be, you know, a 48 to seven blowout, but it would not surprise me to see it turn into a 31 to 17 type game. I changed my prediction. I, I had it at 27 to 20 Alabama with those three linebackers being able to play situationally. I have it as 31 to 20 Alabama. I do think they can win the game by double digits. I think they are the superior team, and I'm going to make another prediction. If Auburn does get drilled in Jordan Hare Stadium, the new head football coach of the Arkansas Razorbacks will be Gus Malzahn. All right, now hold up a second. Hold up now. Do you really think that? I do. Tell me why. Well, because I think he's groomed weary of, uh, you know, the on the hot seat, off the hot seat stuff at Auburn. I think – and both schools don't have athletic directors. I, I, I understand that completely. But I do think if he loses four in a row to Alabama, there's going to be a lot of people that forget the Georgia game. They're going to put tons of pressure on him. And I think if he goes to Arkansas, he can make maybe not quite the same money, but similar money. And I think if he goes eight and four at Arkansas, that they'll be they'll be satisfied with it. Uh, they will not. I think at our at, at Auburn he would have run it. It would have run its course. And uh, the biggest thing is all his ties to the state of Arkansas, which I think it's all about timing. And I just think the timing would be right since Brett Bielema has obviously not done what they thought he would do uh, in Fayetteville. Um. 
you know, I, I guess I've got a little bit different take on it. I'm not disagreeing with what you said, obviously. But, you know, especially, you know, now that they've got a, you know, a dead man walking, you know, as their AD. Um, and, and a new president at Auburn that's kind of trying to feel his way through this whole thing. Um, yep. You know, if I'm Gus, um, I stay put. And I make, because I think, uh, I could be wrong on this, I think if they were to fire him uh, December, January, somewhere in there, um, I think his buyout, including, you know, both coordinators and staff, is $8 million. Um, if he were to stay put and, you know, go into 2018 as the head coach, I think it drops down somewhere between four and six million. Um, you know, I would rather, you know, put that money in my pocket, uh, and, and take my chances. But, you know, what you said is not far-fetched and I'm not disagreeing with it. Uh, I'm just trying to kind of look at it from, you know, from two different perspectives and, you know, Doing what I do for a living, Drew, uh, you know, talking about, you know, hey, do you do you leave? And you, you know, you 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 know, you know, if Gus were to take that Arkansas job, um, I would hope that Jimmy Sexton would get him enough money built into the front end of his contract, where um, what he'd be walking away from from Auburn from a buyout standpoint, you know, would be accounted for. But you know. That that's that's a fairy tale land that I don't know anything about, you know, in the real world that I work in. Well, yeah, and I the reason I just have said it is, and I've talked to some connected Arkansas people, and it and he he is going to be their top candidate now. Again, in another year, he might not, he wouldn't be. They'd already have a coach, and they wouldn't be, a, a, you know, an opening there. And it's just all about fit and where you know he could land. Uh, his wife has also got family in Arkansas. They got a lot of family there, uh, you know. But if he beats Alabama, that's all off the table. I mean, I, I know Auburn uh, will probably overreact and give him a contract extension and give him a raise. And, uh, it's, it's one of those things where they just have to pay. What you just talked about when they eventually have to fire him, uh, then because uh, it will happen eventually because he's not a a, a, a an elite tier head coach, then they'll have to pay him a ton of money to leave. But I do think uh, if he doesn't beat Alabama, and I don't think he's going to, I think he's going to end up on the uh, first plane to Fayetteville. Wow. Um, that, that's interesting to me on a lot of different fronts. Um, just because, you know, Drew, there's there's so many different jobs out there um, that are open. You know, you, you, I'm sure you've seen the same thing that I did, that um, Chip Kelly has turned down Florida. Um, you know, who's yes. Florida going to get? Uh, who's Tennessee going to get? Right. If, if Kevin Sumlin gets fired, uh, you know, over the weekend, you know, you got Texas A&M that's got more money than anybody. Um, you got Tennessee um, that's got a lot of money. Um, and then you've got Florida that, you know, should be one of the top five jobs in the country. Mm-hmm. But based on uh, – Jeremy Foley's, you know, kind of Nazi regime that he ran down there, uh, not building facilities and keeping up with the Joneses. I mean, you've got a lot of big time jobs, you know, I mean, based on what I've heard on the, uh, the Chip Kelly sweepstakes, it sounds like he's going to take that UCLA job. He is. I think he really will. And I've always thought he would go to UCLA. He fits in the PAC 12. He knows the landscape. They built a $75 million football building. 
Uh, Florida and Foley, for whatever reason, got lazy uh, and did not uh, update their facilities. McIlwain really raised hell about it as soon as he got there. And that was one of the things I think that one of the reasons why they cut ties with Mac. And, you know, and, and McIlwain never complained, at least publicly. He Now, behind the scenes, he, he complained to some media people and some, and some folks. And then near the end of his tenure, he made it public. But I'm telling you, uh, you know, if they had done what they told him they were going to do, he wouldn't have been complaining. And I think it affected his recruiting. Everybody wanted to get all over him, and, and, he, and he probably shouldn't have hired Doug Nussmeyer. But I'm, but he still won two division championships uh, with some of those misfits uh, that Will Muschamp left him on the offensive side of the football. So, you know, Florida's put themselves in this position. I had a feeling Chip Kelly was going to dance with them and then walk away. Uh, I think it'll probably be Scott Frost. If not Scott Frost, I don't know who the hell they're going to hire, to be honest with you. I think Scott Frost is the, the one that they're going to focus in on now. But then you got to look at Nebraska and that job, if it comes open, Scott's wife is from Lincoln. They have a lot of family in Lincoln. He played at Nebraska. So with the heartstrings pull at him. So, uh, you know, and, 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 and then what's so interesting is if that happens, I think Lane Kiffin could end up at UCF <laughs> uh, because I think that's a natural fit for Lane. So, uh, but uh, and then in Tennessee, I've always kind of felt like Matt Campbell and Dan Mullen would be their top two guys. I'm I'm going to be really interested to see if they go all in on Dan Mullen now, because last night wasn't his fault. I mean, he's going to take some heat, but uh, his quarterback got injured. Uh, but uh, with Tennessee, they they uh, tried to dance with Chip Kelly too. He 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 declined, even though it never got to the point where he was offered the job. But I'm sure they called his agent. But it's going to be interesting because. Tennessee's job, they have a lot of money, William, but I don't think they would interest Jimbo Fisher. I do think Texas A&M could, though. Well, what do you think about, you know, with Scott Strickland being the new athletic director at Florida, um, you know, and he was at Florida, you know, when when Urban Meyer and Dan Mullen were down there, you know, doing what they did to get those two national championships. Do you think that Scott Strickland could lure Dan Mullen to Florida? I do not. Uh, Dan Mullen is not well-liked by a lot of the Gator boosters. And when Strickland left Mississippi State, I don't think he and Mullen were on good terms. Mullen is, has got a unique personality that I think rubs some people the wrong way when he was with Urban. And everybody knows how Urban's tenure ended, and they, don't, they didn't like that very much. So I don't, I don't see Dan Mullen as a fit at Florida. I see him more as a fit at Tennessee because Tennessee would like nothing more than to hire a coach that hates Florida. Well, I'll tell you this, and I know this for a fact based on my friends that are in the uh, the agent business. Um, and this will, you know, allow a lot of people to understand why Dan Mullen has been stuck at, at Mississippi State for as long as he has been. He's been the University of Miami's number one choice twice. Um, you know, first for, you know, Golden, obviously, and, and, you know, secondly for, you know, the Mark Rick hire. And, you know, the guy presents a dynamic package for what he can do from an X's and O's standpoint. And, you know, I really have a hard, you know, I have a hard time uh, buying into this and listening to it because he's married to a woman um, that's been a sports broadcaster. Uh, you know, Megan Mullen, his wife, was, was a, a star on the, the Golf Channel for years before they got married. But... He he bombed so bad um, on his first interview, face-to-face interview with, with the Miami people. Um, and that's who they wanted. He was their first choice. But his face-to-face interview was so bad 
Um, he blew the Miami job when they hired Al Golden. And basically, you know, what, what they all thought was, you know, hey, um, we, we, we fired Al, you know, bring Dan back in, you know, let's do this all again. And, you know, he did the same damn thing. And I would have thought, you know, that his wife, of course, you know, that's, you know, been in a, you know, a big time job working for the golf network would have worked with him and, you know, sent him somewhere to improve his interview skills. Um, you know, he, 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 you know, blew it out of the box in the wrong direction. Um, when they hired Mark Rick, you know, he, you know, he was their first choice. It wasn't Mark Rick. Um, so that, 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 that's interesting to me. I mean, I, I love these coaching changes and these coaching searches and how they prove out to be. Um, but, but, you know, I think that guy, Ben Mullen, is a tremendous X's and O's guy that doesn't have the, you know, the ability to rub shoulders with the boosters. Um, he's not, the, you know, the best guy that you want to put out in front of the media. Um, you know, does he stay at, at Mississippi State where he's a hometown hero? Let's not forget. I mean, I can remember back in uh, 2010, 11, 12, somewhere in that range, a lot of people thought, you know, after Kirk Ferenz bombed um, on being the, the, you know, the guy that took over for Joe Paterno at Penn State, a lot of people thought it was going to be Dan Mullen, and I guess he blew that interview too. Yeah, he's uh, he's got a unique personality. As Matt Wyatt, their color analyst, told me one time in this uh, this past July uh, in uh, Hoover, he's never wrong. Dan is never wrong. So uh, that's the first thing you learn about him. So, uh, you know, Dan Mullen's done a great job in Starkville, and now Brett Bielema has officially been fired, as Thomas Watt sent me that message. Uh, he has uh, been fired at Arkansas, so that does open the door for that job. I think everybody knew that was going to happen. So it's going to be another intriguing part of this Iron Bowl. But as we kind of uh, are winding this down the last few minutes of our BAMS Radio Iron Bowl preview, uh, I, you know, I, I'm going to go ahead and give my X factors, uh, you know, offensively and defensively as far as guys that I feel like are going to be standouts uh, in this game uh, on Saturday and be difference makers. I think uh, that I'm expecting Josh Jacobs to have over 100 all-purpose yards and reach the end zone and be, along with Jalen Hurts, to be the two difference makers uh, offensively for Alabama. Defensively, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, you know, do so, do some, do a little bit something different. I, I actually think uh, that uh, that Alabama is going to get a great performance uh, out of Ronnie Harrison. I think he's going to make some uh, some game-changing plays. Uh, at the safety position, I think he's had a really good year for Alabama. And then uh, overall, I just I think uh, that uh, Rashawn Evans, uh, as he uh, put on Instagram this week, he said, "I'll never forget what they did to my family. This is personal." And I think uh, wow. you know, and I think you know, Rashawn's going to have hopefully the best performance of his career in an Alabama uniform and go down as a guy that never lost to Auburn. Uh, but uh, William, who are a couple guys on each side of the ball that you expect to play really well? Um, I would say, you know, on offense, I would say uh, Jalen Hurts and Josh Jacobs on the defensive side of the ball. I would say that my two guys are going to be Deron Payne and, oh, uh, 
Rashawn Evans. I, I, yeah, absolutely. Deron Payne and, and Rashawn Evans. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, Deron Payne is going to be hard for Auburn to handle as well. He's really been disruptive. And uh, from what I'm hearing, Jeremy Pritt is going to do some different things also with the defensive line. They're going to attack some gaps. They're going to be really aggressive. I think they're going to do some things that uh, that Gus Malzahn and his staff haven't seen on film. And I'm going to—I know Kevin Steele's done a very good job with Auburn's defense, but I still think Jeremy Pruitt is far superior to him. And I think what you have said rings true. I think when you look at both sides of the ball, I think Alabama has the superior personnel, especially now if they can bring these three linebackers back into the, into the equation. And I think—and I've thought this for you know the whole season. Uh, and going into this year, I've told some people this, Alabama has the far superior coaching staff on both sides of the ball, and I think it's going to show on Saturday afternoon. I agree. And, uh, you know, I think Jeremy Pruitt is probably the, uh, you know, the, the, the factor in this game that people aren't talking about. But, you know, I expect Jeremy to, you know, deliver a great defense every game. But, you know, I think Brian Dayball has a chance to really put a stamp on his coaching career, um, you know, based on how he allows this offense to distribute the ball to their playmakers. And they've got so many of them, Drew. You know them all. It's Josh Jacobs, it's Damian Harris, you know, Calvin Ridley, um, Devonta. You know, they're all, they're all out there. Yes, they are. I mean, we haven't even talked about Bo Scarborough much, uh, but, you know, we'll see what kind of impact he has in the game. I still think it's going to be a more of a Damian Harris and, uh, and Josh Jacobs game. And Damian hasn't had any, a huge game, uh, you know, in, in, a, in a few weeks. So I still think Damian could make a long run in this game. Uh, he's heard a lot about on Johnson and basically how on's a Heisman candidate and the next coming of Bo Jackson. Uh, if I were him, I would be sick and tired of listening to it. And I would be wanting to make a, uh, a statement. And I think uh, on both sides of the ball, Alabama defensively trying to slow carry on down, who's uh, one of the best backs in the SEC and in the country. And then for Alabama wanting to make an, a statement offensively of their own uh, to, uh, to show the kind of college football who the best team in the SEC is, is uh, going to be a big part of that conversation. And then, of course, the winner gets Georgia. Georgia will uh, travel to Georgia Tech. Uh, they lost to Tech last year, 28-27. to 27. I still think Tech will likely give Georgia a four-quarter fight. Wouldn't be surprised if UGA puts it away. Uh, but the winner of this Iron Bowl gets Georgia in the SEC championship game, and I think either will be a, a substantive favorite over the second-year uh, coach at Georgia, Kirby Smart. I do think Georgia's a good football team, but I think Notre Dame and Georgia got exposed a few weeks ago, just a couple of weeks ago. And now we know that they're not really college football playoff teams, uh, as a lot of people thought they were. But, William, uh, I guess as we're kind of wrapping this up, uh, yeah, we, we've talked about uh, some of the keys, and we've talked about we haven't talked any recruiting. Uh, Alabama, it's interesting uh, that uh, Nadab Joseph uh, kind of uh, put off his uh, uh, commitment uh, this past Monday. A lot of people thought he was going to commit coming off a visit to Georgia. He did not. From what I'm hearing, it was the Alabama staff that told him to do so. Very interesting. Auburn takes two commitments on Thanksgiving Day. Richard Hubenor uh, from Athens, Georgia, of all places, who uh, he's got it down to Auburn, Florida, and Tennessee. And then they took Seth Williams from Paul Bryan High School. Some Alabama fans, I had some messages yesterday, people kind of gritting their teeth over that one. 
But as you and I both know, we followed this close enough. Seth Williams was down the board for Alabama. Yeah, you know, it's Jalen Waddle and then everybody else. Um, you know, I'm not really worried about recruiting right now, Drew. Um, you know, they, they've got to beat Auburn. You know, they've got to go beat Georgia. And then I think you, you know, you kind of regroup and then you've got, you know, you're staring down, you know, a week till um, the, the early signing period on December the 15th. Um you know, let, let, let's let's beat Auburn, let's beat Georgia, and, and then we'll get back to um, what, it, what it all revolves to. And that, that is, you know, you're right. Uh, recruiting is the lifeblood of every program. Um, but there there's a big game that has to be won tomorrow, in my mind. And I want to see it won, uh, you know, based on everything that I know and, and love to be true. Um Beat Auburn tomorrow, beat Georgia, uh, you know, the week later in, in, in Atlanta, and then we'll worry about recruiting. Absolutely. As Alabama would be uh, trying to make the playoff for the fourth straight year, be the number one team in the country and trying to win another national championship under head coach Nick Saban in his unprecedented run. And then finally, uh, just to update our listeners, as most of them probably know, but just in case, the Alabama basketball team and Avery Johnson are now 5-0. and They beat BYU today 71-59. Balanced score sheet led by John Petty, the freshman from my area in Huntsville. He had 16 points. Dante Hall with 14. Dazon Ingram, 13. The incomparable Colin Sexton with 10. So Alabama will have a huge test tomorrow. Unfortunately for Alabama fans, it will be uh, stop tipping off at the halftime of the Iron Bowl. So a lot of people will probably be trying to watch it uh, you know, on, on a replay on Facebook. But they will be playing the number 15 team in the country, Richard Patino's Minnesota Golden Gophers at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York. It'll be probably their biggest test. Uh, the best team they've played, along with UT Arlington, who gave the Tide all they wanted as Alabama beat them 77-76 behind the 29 points from Colin Sexton. But Alabama basketball, 5-0, and rolling, ranked number 25 in the country. And we hope to see the Crimson Tide roll in Jordan-Hare Stadium uh, and uh, would win their their fourth of, out of the last uh, five in this series in, in, uh, at, in uh, on the Plains in Auburn as Alabama. It would be actually uh, th- it would be their third straight uh, since the kick six, but four out of five overall. As we all know, uh, Alabama, uh, and really five out of six, because Alabama whipped Auburn in 09 and 2011 in Jordan-Hare Stadium. But, everybody, we hope you've enjoyed our Iron Bowl preview. I want to thank William Redfish Barger for joining us. We hope every, all of our listeners had a happy Thanksgiving. We'll talk to you next week as we hopefully preview the SEC championship game against Kirby Smart's Georgia Bulldogs for Thomas Watts behind the curtain. And for everyone, roll tide, and thank you for tuning in to BAMS Radio. And we'll talk to you next week. And hopefully it's going to be a joyous afternoon tomorrow for the Crimson Tide in Jordan-Hare Stadium.